Our topic this morning is comforted so we can comfort. The text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted from God. Man is born a sorrower. He's born a sinner. He needs redemption, but he's also born a sorrower, and he needs comfort. A little child soon learns that. Something goes wrong. Suddenly his parents leave the room, and he feels lost. Something unusual happens, and his face puckers up, and his eyes fill with tears. He hurts. And on his look, there's an expression of amazement. It's almost like the little youngster, for the first time in his life, is thinking, this isn't fair. Life shouldn't be like this. Everything is good, and now this has happened. People everywhere signal for comfort because people everywhere are sorrowing. In America the Beautiful, there's a lovely phrase in one of the verses that says, Vine alabaster cities gleam undim by human tears. Everything goes on. City does everything it needs to do, but in that city there are tears, people hurting, people needing to be comforted. And our text tells us two ways in which God comforts people. First, God comforts them. Supremely, he comforts them. Beyond any kind of comfort, we're able to give. But then when he comforts people, he expects those men and women and boys and girls to go out and be comforters to others as well. Let's notice that thought as we think together this morning. First of all, needing comfort who comforts us in all our troubles, or a better word, tribulation. By the time this particular Greek word got into the English language, it meant a burden or a pressure that was put upon an individual who, when he appeared in court, refused to plead guilty or not guilty. So they'd put him on the ground and they would put a weight on him. And sometimes the weight would be so heavy that it would kill him. But the thought is pressure. Now that's a good description of sorrow. A pressure on us that would crush us, if not to death, at least crush out of us any reason for living, any excitement in the future, any anticipation in looking ahead. Sorrow has many faces, of course. It can mean a young lady not winning the gold medal at the Olympics, a fellow who doesn't make the football team. It can mean in the adult world something being taken from us that we treasure very much. Primarily, the reason here 
is suffering that comes to people because they were Christians, like in Russia today or Czechoslovakia. When a person became a Christian, he knew that one of his loved ones might be taken, might be arrested. He himself might be killed. The church always was facing the fact that someone might not be there on a Sunday that was there last Sunday because of tribulation. And so specifically, God is speaking of that kind of suffering. However, there's a lot more of sorrow than that. Life sails along so well, nothing around us seems to ruffle the smooth current of our life. And then we go to a doctor and he tells us something that we didn't know before, something that is very critical. The telephone rings and someone after the morning service told me it almost happened like this this week. The telephone rings and a very dear friend has suddenly been taken from us. We walk into an office and we're told that our service is no longer needed, even though we have faithfully tried to serve that company for a long period of time. Now, the problem with all of this is not only the fact that that hurts us and we sorrow over that, but because there's a mystery in it as well. How did pain and grief enter into the universe in the first place? when we believe that our universe is overruled by a wise and loving God. Why, having this come into our life, does not God simply snap his fingers and say, be gone with it? If he's omnipotent, why should we have this pressure? How is it that all of this seems so unevenly distributed, falling so heavily on some people, and not falling heavily on others at all. How is it that it can suddenly cut short a brilliant career, something in which the future was all rosy, and then an illness or a setback comes, and that bright future ends? You see, that's one of the problems with sorrow and with suffering. It hurts us. But we don't have any answers for why it hurts us. There's a mystery in it. And so it's a double hurt, not only of the body, but also of the mind as well. And so we want happiness at that time. Isn't that what life is all about? But Paul is not talking about happiness at all in this passage. He's talking about comfort. When the Lord gave his Sermon on the Mount, Remember what he said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He didn't say they shall be made happy. Some times when I preach a message, someone will come down to me after the service and say, the mes message ministered to me this morning. They didn't say it was good or interesting or kept me awake. He said it ministered to me. And they never have to say anything more than that, for I know what they're talking about. They came into the service hurting, and somehow in that brief period of time, God comforted them. Now among us this morning, there are those who need comfort. Among us this morning, there are those who have pressures on their life. 
It may be domestic, it may be physical, it may be economic, it may be any number of things. But Paul assumes when he begins 2 Corinthians that one way we need to know God is that he's the God of comfort. That's the thrust of it. Men and women need comfort. Secondly, he talks about comfort being provided. Thanks be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion. Isn't that a great term? And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. God provides comfort. He's not limited. Now, we need to realize and understand exactly what comfort is because we can have some wrong ideas here. When I think of comfort, most of all, I think of being soothed or consoled. What I really would like when I was, would, would be comforted is that which is pressuring me is taken away from me. It's lifted off of me. That suddenly I no longer have it a part of me. But that isn't what the word comfort means at all. Comfort means someone comes alongside of you to help you be brave in the situation you are facing. The situation may not change at all. Nothing may change in the situation. But suddenly God comes along with his presence and strengthens you and me so that we are brave able to go through the situation comforted and strengthened. And he does it in a number of different ways. He does it by his eternal word. There's no doubt about it. The word of God, in part, is used to comfort us. A pastor steps alongside the bedside of someone who was ill in the hospital. He has just a few minutes, as anyone should only take a few minutes, 10 minutes at most when visiting in the hospital. So he has 10 minutes while he's there. What shall he talk about? The newspaper headlines, a joke to bring a bit of smile to the patient's face, uh, tell the person how many other people there are in the hospital so that they could understand, after all, there's others going through the same thing you're going through. Just make idle chatter. Wave and go say goodbye. Well, he can do that. Or he can step up to the bedside in that limited time, which is his, and take the hand of the patient who is in a very difficult situation and say something like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A brief word of prayer, and he's gone. 
and the person is comforted. The person is still sick and hurts, and the future may be bleak, but strength has come. God has stepped alongside. He's made this person brave in this particular area and this particular situation. He comes in the strength of his love. To experience love in the midst of difficulty is one of the greatest sources of comfort. Think of your child. He runs to you when he was a little one, hurting. And all you had to do was gather him or her into your arms. And there flowed from your being strength. And he felt it. And suddenly there was comfort. George Matheson was a young man who years ago fell in love with a very, very lovely young lady. In time, they were engaged, and then he found out he was going blind. And he thought the only right thing and the honest thing to do would be to ask the young lady if she would like her freedom, and he did, and she accepted it. She didn't see that she could be bound to a man that was blind all of his life. It was a shattering thing to George Matheson as it would be to anyone, I'm sure. Human love does wind itself deeply among the tendrils of one's heart. He was shattered and hurt. And a few days went by, and then he felt himself enveloped by the love of God, and he wrote a song. O oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. Not this morn shall tearless be. She, he still was rejected. The hurt of his heart was still there. The anguish of his broken heart was still very much a part of him. But suddenly, comforted in God's love, he was able to be strengthened of a morn that would tearless be. He makes us brave in the comfort of his presence. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will send another comforter to you. I will not leave you as orphans. One of the touching scenes of Scripture is when he came to be with Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. He just came to be with them. Some years ago, there was an article on the Reader's Digest, and it was entitled, In Time of Sorrow, The Gift of Your Present. It told about a man who, before the particular incident that he was writing about, had been asked by his mother, to attend the funeral of a cousin. His answer was, I can't go, I can't get away from my work. Please, she asked, it would only take an hour or two, and you won't even have to go to the cemetery. You don't know how much the family will appreciate it if you just go. He said, no, no one will miss me if I'm not there. I haven't seen them for a lot of years. And though he was somewhat guilty, he rationalized it believing that among the many others that would come, he hardly would be missed. So that became his philosophy as the years go by. Let those who suffer, let them suffer by themselves. 
he would ignore it all. He didn't go to visit the neighborhood pharmacist when he died, though he had been a wonderful friend of his when he was growing up. And then he said, my turn came. My father, still active, collapsed and died without warning. It was one of those deaths announced in the corridor of a hospital outside of the emergency room. All I could do was walk to the car. I was happy on the day of the funeral that the sun was shining, and as we drove along in the limousine, my mother said to me, they say I should be thankful I have him that long, but it has been like a walk around the block. We stood in the side room of off the chapel, waiting for the service, and then the folks came. One of the first was an older man. You wouldn't know me, he said, but I worked for your father when I was a young man. He was a great encouragement to me and helped me. And as the others came with just a brief word or just reaching out their hand to shake his hand, a glow began to develop in his heart. Here was a cousin only three days out of the hospital, a TV repairman who came just to say how much he appreciated my father. Look my wife said to me, look who's coming. And walking toward me were friends of mine who had never known my father at all, yet had taken time off from work, gotten a babysitter. And as I embraced them, I said, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. We just wanted to be with you, they replied. That on the human level is what God does on the divine level. He just wants to be with us in the time of our suffering. He just wants to be there, so we're so conscious of his presence that we feel strengthened in that hour. Nothing has changed. Our loved one still lies in the casket. Our friend is still in the hospital. The job is still lost. The pain does not go away from my body. The future is still somewhat bleak. But all of a sudden, I have been made strong. I have been made brave. I can go on because the God of all mercy and the God of all comfort has come to comfort me in all of my tribulation. That being true, says Paul, those needing comfort, having been comforted of God, now those who have been comforted are to comfort others, that we may be able to comfort them that are in any affliction. That's not an unusual teaching of the Word of God in which God links something he does for you that we're to do for something, someone else. Forgive us our sins even as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Freely as you have received, freely give, give unto the Lord. There are some things the Lord has put together let no man put asunder, and here is one of them. Have you been comforted? Then there's a ministry of comforting out there. Back in Pennsylvania, there are a lot of little railroad lines that go up into the mountains and then they end. Uh, kind of an adventuresome thing to wander and follow them. Finally, you come to the place where there's a little long forgotten station and the engine, the, the, the tracks don't go any farther. And there are Christians like that, into whom God has poured his comfort, and when it got to them, it didn't go any farther than that. But there's the other side in which, having been comforted, 
we in turn can go out and help and comfort others as well. Someone says, but I just can't be of any help to anyone else. But we must, you see. One can go out and help and comfort others as well. Someone says, but I just can't be of any help to anyone else. But we must, you see. The last person in the world that we would have thought would have had any ability to help someone else was Job. I guess if Job had any excuse to think only of himself and only be involved in himself and not be worried about anything but himself, it was he. But there's a rather unusual verse about Job that says this, the Lord turned the troubles of Job when he prayed for his friends. All began to turn around when he began to pray for his friends. There's a very special touch that people who have suffered and been comforted can give to others. John Barry, in his book called Margaret Ogilvy, tells in the first chapter the story of his mother and how she got her soft face. Her oldest son had gone off to school when he was 12 because the little community in which they lived did not have schools good enough for the talent that the young lad had. Word came back home when he was 13 that the boy was ill. And the mother got on the train. The whole family went down to the station. The mother got on the train. And hardly had the train got out of sight that the old telegraph operator came out and handed them a telegraph that the boy had died. A couple days later, the mother was back with the boy. They had the funeral. And then after the funeral was over, she asked for the christening robe. And she looked at it long and hard. And then she turned her face to the wall. And Barry said, when she looked back, she had a soft face. And that's the reason that when other mothers lost their babies, they all ran to my mother. Having been comforted by God, she was able to comfort others. Have you, be, have you been comforted? then we are to comfort. I realize that uh, it's not easy. A.W. Tozer said at one time, it is extremely unlikely that God ever uses anybody that he doesn't hurt, first of all. That's a remarkable statement. It's extremely unlikely that God ever uses anybody that he doesn't hurt, first of all. Why? Because people hurt so much. Unless we're somehow able to identify with their hurting, what good are we at all? A young pastor over in, in, in Scotland, so, so David Livingston tells, before he went to South Africa, went to see a lady, an old lady, and he did what every young pastor ought to do. He sat by her bedside and told her of the duty of resignation in her problems, of her need to trust, and he spoke the words which he had learned, but which he had not yet experienced. And she listened as an old lady can. And then she looked up at him in the face and said, Poor thing, ye ken nothing about it. You know nothing about it. You haven't been where I've been, so you don't have very many words to say to me while you're... She wasn't saying it critically. She was simply saying a factor of life. Has God allowed you to be hurt? He's allowed you to be hurt so you can help someone that's hurting. 
Has God allowed you to grieve? He's allowed you to grieve because there's all kind of people out there grieving that need someone just to stand alongside and help them to be brave in this difficult time, to be available, to watch for the signs and to pray. Ask God to give skill in comfort's art, that thou mayst consecrated be and set apart unto a life of sympathy. For heavy is the weight of ill in every heart, and comforters are needed much of Christ-like touch. I was reading just yesterday as we close about a missionary who had gone to Taiwan. And there he met a Christian man who had been in the army. His name was Oz. And he told him that as the refugees came in from mainland China, the people began to build their shanty towns. And they would build them so close to each other that they literally would hardly allow any place for trucks or cars to go by. And one of the fears he had, because he was a truck driver, was that someday some little youngster would run out and he would run over and kill him. Sure enough, one day as he was driving, he saw a lad in the street who had been run, run over by a truck before him and was lying dead in the street. Suddenly he heard a terrible wailing and saw a hysterical woman push through the crowd and throw herself over the lifeless body of the little boy. Oz, for that was his name, said, My heart ached to see the woman's pain, but I was never prepared for what was to happen next. Suddenly looking down through her tears at the dead boy's face, she gave a strange smile of relief and joy and said, Oh, it's not mine. And literally dropped the boy and walked away. Oz said I was shocked and enraged. And then I remembered it was a picture of myself. As long as my personal world was untouched, I let the other people go by. That's what God is trying to save us from in this passage in First and Second Corinthians. Blessed be God the Father, who comforteth us in all of our troubles, who makes us brave, who allows us to go through, that having experienced the comfort he is able to give, we'll look around and we'll see someone here who needs us to walk up alongside of that person and with outstretched hand, with an arm briefly around his or her shoulder, comfort them as well. Then they too shall be made brave. They shall face their day and they shall receive the same comfort from you that you already have received from the Lord. Man is born a sinner and a sufferer. Christ for his sins and Christ for his sorrow. And God's people for his sorrow as well. Shall we pray? Father, we don't like often to hear about this subject. After all, we want to laugh, and there's nothing wrong with laughing. 
But today, in this building, there are those whose hearts are filled with pain and filled with sorrow. And we ask, blessed Lord, that you'll come to them as no human individual can. It may be in some lovely verse of thy word. It may be at this moment they'll just feel utterly enveloped by the arms of God. It may be that there will be a sense of God's presence that's more real than the person who sits next to them. And suddenly, suddenly, they will find strength and bravery to press on to that morn that shall tearless be. We pray, O oh God, for those of us who have known that wonderful blessing of God, that we shall comfort others. O oh God, may thy Holy Spirit make us a band of comforters, reaching out and helping fellow pilgrims who are faltering along the way because of the heavy pressures of their life, will step alongside. And in our comfort, they shall be made brave to go forward. We wait for heaven to do this in this moment upon those who wait in your presence. Do it for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a couple of verses of that song that I referred to before, number 404. Number 404, oh, love that will not let me go. Happens to be one of my favorites anyway, but the story makes it all the more meaningful. We're going to sing the first, second, and last verses of that before the benediction. And then we didn't sing the chorus of the month because of the very special and lovely piano solo we had. And so after the benediction, and then the door readers can go, we'll sing, oh, how he loves you and me. Number 404. Would you stand, please? Let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may
their blossoms red, life that shall endless be. You know, this is already the end of the second month of our centennial. Now, I frankly don't like to see time go by that quickly. I know you youngsters don't care, but I do. But I want to say only that there is a special centennial event tonight. And it's one of our important ones because it features our own people bringing to you some of the numbers and music you like best and which God has blessed you for. Judy Engel is not well and will not be able to sing, but there will be that ministry for you tonight to rejoice in the Lord. Our doorgears can go as we sing. Now, Father, having known the comfort of God, the comfort when you washed our sins away, what comfort? The comfort when we were lonely, you came to be at our side. A comfort when we were at the end of ourselves and we didn't know where to go. And you said, I'll, I'll steady you along the way. Having received that comfort, may thy grace, mercy, and peace allow us to be comforters to others. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.